Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Caregiver and Physician Conversations, sponsored by eCareDiary.com. I am your host, Marjorie Pabst. Please visit my website at MyCaregivingCoach.com for resources related to your personal well-being and advocacy as a caregiver. Today, I am joined again by Dr. Kesavan Kuti a physician from the American College of Physicians, for part two of our topic, Giving and Getting Bad News from the Doctor. Dr. Kuti always comes to us with a wealth of information, and judging by your response from two weeks ago when we aired part one, this is a topic important for all of you and your loved ones. Welcome, Dr. Kuti. Thank you. You're always generous with your praise, I thank you all the same. Uh, It's good to be back as we explore this most important topic of receiving bad news as a continuation of of our previous conversation, how to receive a bad diagnosis from the doctor. Well, you know, during our last show, which aired on July 29th, by the way, all of you as listeners can check the archive link on both eCareDiary.com and on MyCaregivingCoach.com. We encourage you to do that, to go back and listen to part one. Uh, And during that show, we discussed tips for both physicians and patients and their caregivers to stay focused and calm when giving and getting bad news from the doctor. Three key tips for patients and their caregivers were given by Dr. Cootie. And um, they are stay calm, be attentive to the facts. Dr. Cootie also mentioned that the news may not be as bad as first thought. Uh, so to be sure and ask open-ended questions. And then to ask for another appointment if you and your loved one want some more time to think and then get back with the doctor. Um, Dr. Cootie also suggested that good questions to ask are, what can I expect? What do I need to do short and long term? And if you're employed, should I inform my employer? Dr. Cootie also gave some tips for physicians, and they were and are, bad news should always be given in person with a caregiver or family member present. Doctors should always tell the truth to patients and families. And they should give patients and caregivers time to ask questions in a private and humane setting. And I guess it goes without saying that if you're not getting that kind of treatment from your physician, then you need to ask for it. Dr. Cootie, is there a point from last time that you'd like to elaborate more upon? Um, One one item that I would like to mention um, is that, you know, a family member or caregiver should be present as much as possible, and unless the patient objects to it, because you know this is an important issue from the HIPAA standpoint. Patients have the right to decline another member of the family or a friend being present, or they can also allow somebody to be present. So it is important to respect the patient's autonomy. Also, to just to ask someone to stay calm when really bad news is received is not easy and sometimes even might sound rather preachy. Uh, it's really about self-control, uh, which is often the most difficult thing to do. 
obviously the skill to stay calm cannot be acquired just at that instant when you receive the bad news but um, having a background in meditation or breathing control or a background in athletic activities and exercise might help which is why these pursuits are often mentioned in our day-to-day lives uh, very recently when we were taking a you know course on active shooter um, here at the our institution where i work uh, because workplace violence has become a common issue and it's important to be prepared but one of the things that somebody asked um, people in the audience was uh, what do you do when you're faced with such bad news and very severe situation what what is it that you can do at that time if you don't know anything else just sit there and take a deep breath uh, that is actually the most effective way to deal with it if you are not previously trained to do so um, and so you know um if you had a previous background it helps otherwise just take a deep breath and as you outline from the previous conversation um try to stay calm that's that is a oh, that's a great tip and you know i was thinking as you were saying that dr kuti that even when i go into the doctor to get my blood pressure taken um and i typically have really good blood pressure i'll take a really deep breath before but <laughs> <laughs> to test me, and you know what, I think it works. I think it lowers my blood pressure a little bit. So I can really relate to this tip, uh, you know, in stressful situations. Yeah, um, that's the oldest trick in the book. (laughs) It is the oldest trick in the book, isn't it? Take a deep breath. Well, I know that uh, we spoke a little last time about communication skills, and I know that they are absolutely key to successfully handling bad news. Um, you mentioned appropriate questions on our last show, and I think they were terrific, terrific ones. But you also hinted that there were some in- inappropriate questions we as caregivers should avoid because they really don't take us anywhere or help us. What were those, um, uh, Dr. Cootie? Right. Um, there are, you know, I'm going to speak in general, general terms. It all depends upon how much... Uh, how much of a relationship you and the doctor have built. Uh, but if it is somebody who, with whom you have had a fairly short relationship, uh, you know, one of the questions that you want to avoid is how much time do I have? Uh, because that's not a question that's easy to answer, especially when the diagnosis is still relatively early. And another one to avoid is, um, uh, this is a common question that comes up. Um, uh, doctor, what, what would you do if you were I? Um, you know, because you are a unique person on your own, and the doctor is a different person with different values, experience, and knowledge. Um, each, of one of, each one of us is really only able to make decisions for ourselves or oneself and one's families. Um, also, you know, it's true that some physicians make uh, do make a living out of dispensing medical items, particularly medications from their offices. Um, and there are some, admittedly, uh, who engage in unethical practices as far as that part of the business goes. But the patient should be informed of these practices. But at the same time, it is really a terrible thing to ask the physician at that instant of learning bad news whether... Uh, his or whether he stands to he or she stands to benefit from recommendations that were handed out because 
that tends to generalize this practice and ruins whatever relationship you have built. All I'm saying is that while the patient has a right to know about this background information, that there may be a potential conflict of interest, one has to be very careful how one seeks this information. Uh, it is important to realize that the physician may get some financial benefit the way the overall setup is structured, but it does not necessarily mean that the financial gain is a driving decision or uh -huh. driving the decision. Yeah, the decision to prescribe or not to prescribe a pharmaceutical, yes. yes. Correct. Um, tell us about, uh, we promised that we would talk uh, about this in this part two. Tell us about the use of silence and how it really is your friend for both doctors and their patients. Um, you know, our communication is um, uh, verbal. We, we talk to each other, but sometimes we don't realize how powerful an instrument is something called silence when there is nothing being uh, uttered into the air. Physicians can and should use silence when making important point. Um, for example, after saying um, words to this effect, this cancer is not a good one, it is very unpredictable in its behavior, uh, we can keep your symptoms under control, but we cannot cure it, etc. It is important for the physician to wait about 10 to 15 seconds to allow the patient and the caregiver to digest that information before asking if the patient or caregiver has any questions. Uh, providing that time for silence uh, shows respect for the patient. Um, and if the physician does not provide a time for the silence, caregivers and patients should stop the physician from continuing by saying, uh, uh, we, we need a moment. So the time in silence affords the physician a moment to read body language and determine how to proceed further with information. And it also ensures that they have had time to, to have for that information to settle down and for the patient and his or her family to digest that information. Yes. And, you know, if, if we marry the notion of taking a deep breath with silence uh, for the patient or the caregiver, to take that deep breath and use silence at the same time, you can marry those two principles and really give yourself as a caregiver or the patient just that needed moment before you say anything else or ask a question. That's correct. Yes. That could be a very um, important combination, yes. Yes. Um, you know, we've, we've also discussed the issue of technical language, and we wanted to share with our listeners today uh, some tips from you as to what we can do as caregivers and patients when the doctor uses technical language that we don't understand. So what would you do, uh, Dr. Cootie? Um, one could say something like this, for example. Uh, uh, doctor, there were, you know, you mentioned several technical words that unfortunately I didn't quite catch. And, you know, my brother here uh, didn't catch either. Um, I mean, we are lay people and I would really be grateful if you could make it more understandable to us. Or if you don't want to use so many words, another effective way to say that is to say, come again, doctor, sorry, I didn't understand that. Can you explain it differently? Um, 
Um, it's, it's amazing how many patients and caregivers don't ask for clarification and pretend that they understand it all. An important thing to remember is that you as a patient or caregiver intend to continue with a particular physician. It is important that you understand, otherwise as treatment proceeds, misunderstandings will arise and uh, you know the, our expectations in the end will turn out to be not what we had figured and that leads to disappointment um, and people lose faith in each other and begin to have arguments and fights and so forth. So in the same vein, it is important to convey what you want to say to the physician without using slang words. Uh, just like the, you know, slang words for the patient is the equivalent technical word from the physician. Um, just like the patient or the caregiver has to be on the alert for technical terms from the physician, the physician must also be on the alert for slang words. Oh, very, very good, very good advice on both sides. Um, um, I know misunderstandings around the technical language are a common occurrence. And um, you've mentioned to me, and this was intriguing for me, and I think we want to share it with our listeners today. You've mentioned that there is a vast difference in vocabulary between physicians and patients and their families. Well, you know, the rest of us. Would you tell our audience about this, this interesting statistic? Yeah, it, it's interesting. I, I learned about this from a textbook I read um, or oh, maybe about 35, 40 years ago. Um, uh, it said that the average vocabulary of a physician is around 100,000 words, 100,000 words. The average person, average patient, uh, has about 30,000 words in his or her vocabulary. And so physicians who are endowed with that uh, three times as much vocabulary as their patient uh, sometimes begin to think that, you know, everybody else must have this vocabulary, so everybody else must understand what I'm saying. Um, so um, as a result, they often engage in technical language or even if the language is not technical, they may use words that are not commonly uh, in, our, in our dialogue or in our common parlance. Um, and that tends to confuse the patient. Um, okay. So, uh, you know, in, for our new residents who join us uh, every year, we, we take them through uh, simulation. Um, there are simulations for doing procedures that use uh, mannequins. And there are also trained actors that we employ for teaching residents how to impart bad news and or how to plan end-of-life care with a patient who has a terminal illness. So in one of these exercises, the, the, the resident was given um, uh, assignment with this actress who um, was supposed to have had a spread of her colon cancer. Um, and there were uh, shadows or spots in her liver uh, to which, which were represented by spread of the cancer. And um, <clears throat> of course, in the technical language that the intern was given or the resident was given, we had described that her liver scan actually now shows multiple lesions. 
So that actually was a little bit of a trap. So when the resident went to talk to the actress, was, you know, simulating a patient, um, many of them actually mentioned, you know, your scan of your liver shows multiple lesions. Uh, so at, um, you know, at one point the patient asked, so I'm sorry, I didn't understand what these lesions mean. What the lesions mean? Can you explain that? So that's when they came down to the ground level and began to understand that, okay, this is technical language. I should be careful about it. Yes, exactly. Oh, that's a great, that's a really great example because, you know, so many of us might think we know what a lesion is, but not really. So that's a great example. Well, you know, um, I know that you're also in the whole process uh, in normal in normal circumstances with doctors, but certainly when giving bad news, you are a big advocate for summarizing what was said. Uh, tell us about that. Why, why is it that you think summarizing is critical when you're visiting with the doctor under any circumstance? And, you know, it, it, is, it is very important because a lot of the times we... <coughs> Pardon me. We listen to what the patient is telling us, and then we do our own exam, and um, we um, look at the lab or whatever tests are available, and then we give them a, uh, a conclusion. Okay, this is what I found today, and then you have a conversation, questions and answers. At the end of it, we have to recap. Okay, let's let's now towards the end of the visit, uh, let's now recap what we have understood so far. So the um, important thing to do is to ask, you know, a physician can take the lead and say that, okay, this is what I understood you to say and this is what we decided today. At the same time, it is very important to ask, this is less commonly done, but it is very important to ask the patient also to summarize their understanding uh, of what has been going on in, during that visit. Oh, so yes. the pa then the patient or the caregiver summarizes to make sure that all information is understood, and that gives the physician a very, very good opportunity to be certain that the message has been delivered, it has been digested, and the patient has be is been able to recount what has been said. That means a much better level of understanding uh, than would otherwise be. Oh, that's a really a good good point because we often, in any part of life, think just because somebody nods and says, well, yes, I understand what you just said, to really summarize it yourself requires, as you say, a greater degree of understanding. So uh, tell us, what information would you recommend that caregivers summarize and what information would patients summarize? So uh, the caregiver explains what care he or she is to give and what symptoms to look for as the treatment progresses. Or if a diagnosis was given, what uh, they understood the physician to say. Uh, if a prognosis was given, in other words, um, you know, what, how, how are things like, likely to turn out, um, then uh, recount that. So the patient also explains what he or she is to do um, as the treatment protocol um, or what their understanding is. Uh, so this is a way for physician to determine the patient's commitment to the directions given and also for making certain that the caregiver understands what the treatment, what we're treating, what the treatment goals, what to expect, 
uh, what can potentially go wrong, and when they should call you. Great. That's great. And uh, in terms of tips for summarizing, what's going to help caregivers and patients really summarize um, effectively, Dr. Cootie? Uh, taking notes. Uh, you know, this is uh, this sometimes a forgotten technique. We took notes when we were in uh, high school or college, uh, but then after that we may have forgotten to do that. So that's the single best way to make sure that you've captured their sense of physicians' comments and directions. Uh, if both the patient and the caregiver are so emotionally distraught uh, to take any notes, um, then ask for an appointment in a few days once you've had a chance to calm down. Um, but, you know, as I said earlier on, if, you were, if one were to take a deep breath and pay attention to what is going on, and if, in fact, even taking notes down there might, uh, might actually help you focus on something slightly different, I mean, focus on something other than yourself uh, and get a better understanding of the subject. Well, I know that, um, you know, this, uh, this issue, this skill of summarizing is um, a method that's actually been developed into a method and a model called TeachBack. And I know that this model called TeachBack is a favorite of yours. Tell us a little bit about it. Um, basically, this is a synonym. TeachBack is a synonym for summarizing but with a view to gauge the recipient in this situation, the patient's understanding of what ensued in that room that day. So by paying careful attention, the physician can make out what the patient is thinking, understanding, etc. Uh, essentially, it takes ambiguity out. You know, did they really catch everything I told them? Um, the... Um, uh, it actually you know, provides a tremendous amount of benefits. Now, um, in, your, in your website, you do have a, I, I know you're going to say about that, but um, the, from the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, um, and you know, if you were to use TeachBack, uh, it shows that you care, um, um, and uh, by you know, using plain language, you're showing that you care to the, the care that the patient understands what is said. Um, it, it should be used in a way that is um, uh, non-shaming, open-ended questions. Um, and so, after all this, when you when you do the teach back, um, the um, uh, um, it's a way to make sure that the the physician explained the information clearly. It is not a test or a quiz of the patients. Okay, exactly what did I say? That's yes. not how it is. But just, you know, do they get the general gestalt of what was said? Mm -hmm. um, ask the patient or a family member to explain in their own words what they need to know or do in a caring manner. Uh, it's a way to check for understanding, and if needed, re-explain and check again, because that's the other, other part of that feedback. Okay, I don't think he or she got that information quite well. Let me explain again. Um, and this essentially, there's the information to show that this clearly improves the communication and avoids misunderstandings, which is one of the reasons why people ultimately go to see a, a third professional, that is the, the lawyer, trying to get some 
you know, it avoids these things. Exactly. So Teach Back is really a tool for both physicians and caregivers and patients. And it sounds, Dr. Cootie, like it puts into practice a number of the points that you've made today. It, it puts, you know, into a model of many of those points. Is that right? That is correct. Yeah. That's correct. In, in fact, there is also evidence to show that these, this kind of communication improves health outcomes. Yes. Well, absolutely. And because misunderstandings... Uh, can lead to uh, medical mistakes. We we know that, and so uh, and to avoid that other professional that you mentioned, the the attorney. Um, there is an internet resource, as Dr. Cootie alluded to a little bit earlier, for Teach Back, and um, we're going to encourage that all of you as listeners check into it, and um, uh, because you'll see there some very familiar things that Dr. Cootie has mentioned. The link is a long one, so I'm, I'm not, we're not going to attempt to give it to you today except to say that you can find it on both the eCareDiary.com website. Uh, the link is right next to where our show uh, was promoted today, and it's also on MyCaregivingCoach.com, uh, my website. So in either place, you can find this most important link and get a nice summary in addition to uh, checking out the archive of this show should you want to listen back to our entire program today. Um, Also, I'm going to place this embedded link on my September blog, and that blog will also occur on both eCareDiary.com and on my website. And um, it will be uh, couched there with some comments of mine about how caregivers uh, can be leaders. And certainly leaders are people who do utilize techniques. They utilize models. They they, uh, find easier ways to do things. And I think you'll find that Teachback will do that for you. Um, Dr. Cootie, any other comments, closing comments about Teachback that you would like to... You know, uh, I I use that in non clinical settings as well, in other words, uh, not related to patient encounter. Uh, I regularly meet with my residents and medical students um, several times a week. Um, and we, you know, they tell me about a patient. We discuss that patient's uh, illness and how we made the diagnosis and so forth. But at the end of it, um, I always ask them, okay, so what did you learn today? Um, so it's a very, it's another way of using that teach back um, to make yeah. sure that they captured their sense of our discussion today, uh, and they found, um, you know, um, the points that we made that they're able to, you know, attach them to their memory. Uh, and if they do that, there is um, a reasonable likelihood that they're going to use that information at the nearest opportunity. Yes. And, you know, the relevance of this kind of method um, with, uh, it can be used in other parts of life, as you're suggesting. Uh, perhaps those of you who are listening have children or parents, um, you know, in a non-medical setting. Uh, to clarify what we've all been saying to each other is a useful tool in any part of life. So I really appreciate your bringing this technique to our uh, attention, Dr. Cootie. 
And um, by the way, we, Dr. Cootie and I, plan to provide specific examples of how TeachBack works. Uh, in a future show, it looks like we're going to be doing that in December, and we will announce that date soon. Uh, it'll be a Tuesday in December. We think possibly December the 9th, and we'll let you know about that. Um, so thanks again, Dr. Cootie, so much for your continuing expertise and wisdom that you bring to the show, to all of us. And uh, we always will look forward to your coming on the show again. Thank you. That's very kind of you, and I really appreciate the opportunity to speak to your audience. Um, and um, I look forward to our next visit. Yeah, I do too. And um, again, a reminder, you will find the uh, link, an additional link besides the Teach Back link, uh, to the archive to this show. Should any of you want to suggest it to friends or to listen back to it again. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. Have a great day. Thank you, Dr. Cootie, and goodbye. Thank you.